Alright, we are in Second Samuel chapter 9. We're looking at uh, some of the high points, really, of David's kingship as he became king over all of Israel, as he conquered Jerusalem and established that as both the political and religious capital, as God made these awesome promises to him that he would have an enduring dynasty, that he'd have a descendant that would become an everlasting king. That was a real blessing. We had just looked at his military triumphs, how he conquered people in every direction. That was just very uh, encouraging to see the hand of the Lord helping him and being with him in his uh, uh, being king and his government over Israel. And now we'll see another uh, very encouraging aspect, I think, of David and his kingship, of his character. Um, You may remember that there was a note made back in chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, that... Grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan, is a main character in chapter 9. Would somebody read the chapter for us? And David said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And he called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, and the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Uh, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, to Lod- at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat in my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should regard that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, uh, David, uh, sorry, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your son and your servants shall shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce for your servant's grandson, uh, that he may eat bread, uh, have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Uh, then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son, whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house uh, became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Okay. Now, uh, you have to appreciate David's uh, attitude as we begin this chapter. What's he looking for? He wants to show kindness to Saul's descendants because... Because of Jonathan, because of the agreement that he had made with Jonathan, he's thinking about more or less 
uh, prior obligations. You know, and he has made a commitment to, you know, uh, Jonathan to take care of his family. And uh, he's concerned to see who might be left of that family that he needs to show kindness to. There is a servant of Saul named Ziba who is able to inform him that yes, there is a descendant of David, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, uh, a man who is crippled in both feet because of what we read back there in chapter 4. And, and, and David is proactive in seeking him out to show grace and kindness to him. We might pause a moment and just ask the question, are there um, you know, obligations that we have made that we need to remember and we need to discharge? Are there, uh, are, are there uh, uh, kindnesses uh, that we need to be showing uh, to others? Uh, sometimes uh, we only do that when it's convenient or maybe when somebody comes to us and insists that we have a responsibility to do that. But but David didn't wait for Mephibosheth to come knocking at his door and saying, listen, you made an agreement with my father. You know, he seeks him out. So I think there's a good attitude to have. There may be people we need to seek out to show grace and kindness to. And uh, David has Mephibosheth brought. What do you suppose Mephibosheth thought? When he receives word that he was supposed to come to David's palace. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, is this a, a, a death warrant here? Uh, you can imagine that. He could have expected to be executed. After all, he's in Saul's family. Uh, but, but it's actually just the opposite. You know, what, what an amazing thing. David says to him in verse 7, Do not fear. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And he's going to restore to him Saul's land. And he has him eat at his table. So he's going to provide for him. It's interesting that not only does the fact that he's in Saul's family, you know, not bar him from being at David's table. The fact that he's crippled is not an issue. There might be some people who would let that be a barrier. It was not. What could Mephibosheth do to really substantially help David? Nothing. Probably not much of anything. You know, it's hard to come up with something that Mephibosheth is really going to positively contribute to David. This is not David doing a kindness to Mephibosheth so he can get something back. You know, we're pretty good at doing that. I mean, if we really think we'd stand to gain something, we're willing to even go out of our way. To help serve someone. But this is serving someone that really he has nothing to expect to receive in return. And so he does this with, with uh, Mephibosheth. What's Mephibosheth's attitude toward receiving these blessings from David? Truly not me. Yeah, why not me? How does he see himself? The dead dog. Yeah, and this dead dog. You're doing this for me? I'm nobody. You know, I'm nothing. Um, you know, so so for his, from his standpoint, he's humbled, really. 
by the grace that the David is showing him, he, he feels very inadequate to receive this. David uh, gets Ziba to be kind of the caretaker of the estate of the lands that he's restoring to him. Mephibosheth eats at David's table as if he were one of his sons. Just an amazing thing that David is willing to do that. And the text stresses again, he was lame in both feet. He could not take care of himself. You know, he had nothing to offer to David. And yet David shows this kindness to him. I'm assuming that some of you have thought about, maybe some of you have even preached about, the parallels between what David does with Mephibosheth and the grace of the Lord toward us. What do you see in that? We have nothing to offer God. Is and, and yet He has done everything for us. We, we, we bring nothing to the table that we can really give to God that would really benefit Him. Amen. That is so true. We need to see it that way. And that will really help us. Eric? David made the first move and God sent His Son. That was the first move. Yeah, He took initiative. Tim? I didn't get surprised to say Mephibosheth in some way was David's enemy because he was from an enemy faction. Absolutely. Jason? Yeah, I see a parallel even between um, this account and the account in chapter 7, David's response to God in giving the same grace to one who was not really deserving. Absolutely. In the same way God has been gracious to David, David is being gracious to Mephibosheth. Dan? The kindness that David showed toward him was because of a covenant that he uh, made previously. Yes, and because of someone else's merits. You know, it was based upon what Jonathan had done with David, not based on anything Mephibosheth has done. I think that's an interesting parallel as well. Eric. Um, Mephibosheth gets to come eat at the king's table and, and the two we eat at our king's table. Yes, very good, exactly. What else? Those are good. Ryan. I think not only what we do, but Mephibosheth's attitude um, of you know, humility, of I didn't do anything to deserve this. That's exactly the attitude we should have because we know that we cannot Yes, absolutely. Being willing to receive the grace, but receiving it with gratitude and humility. Great response, Seth. Nothing lame or impure could go into David's house. Nothing lame or impure could go into God's house. But here Mephibosheth is eating at his table. Yes, isn't that remarkable? From chapter 5, there was the rule, nothing lame or blind could enter David's house. Yes, thank you for that. That's very helpful. Yeah. Other thoughts? This is really a remarkable picture. Isn't it amazing what the Lord puts into stories like this? If you were just maybe hadn't thought a lot about biblical things, you were just reading through Second Samuel, you would probably read this and barely notice it. It's kind of a blip in the story. There are other things that seem like they're more exciting or more they take more space. But the truth is, this is a great high point. You know, here is a man who's separated from David in the palace, who's even afraid of David, who, as we've suggested, has nothing to give to David. And David seeks someone to show grace to. He shows favor to one who's done nothing to deserve it. This grace is based upon the merits of someone else. David is helping a man who could not help himself. It's remarkable that God designs these things to 
to really show us the grace of God in picture form here in 2 Samuel 9. You know, you could really meditate on this, meditate on this a lot, make a lot of applications. You know, these are the sorts of passages that once you get on the right track, you know, mold that over your mind and really think about applications for us. How should we look at God and His grace? How should we see ourselves? And what should the attitude of people who have been the recipients of undeserved favor be toward others. You know, it's very bad for people to receive grace and not share it, not offer it. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts so that we can pour it out upon other people. So that's a good lesson for us too. Thoughts and comments on all of this. Eric. Um, on the day of judgment, the goats will be those who did not show kindness to the least of these. I just thought that's a perfect application for us. Excellent point. Bentham. I was thinking it, it, it works nice uh, when we see like a regular person showing kindness to another person. But when you think of a king who's busy with so many things, for him to stop and say, wait, let me help this guy, uh, somebody out, out of all the business that he has to do, it gives you even more meaning. And then we look at God, again, with all of the things that he can worry about, he focuses on us individually, he focuses on our personal needs. So that, that just makes it even more amazing. The fact that there's so much, and yet he loves us individually. Amen. Very good point. Ryan. I think it's really cool to see how uh, in Romans, especially the Romans 12, how um, Paul uses this idea of grace to show you know, the Christian lifestyle what we should do. And he draws from all the previous ideas of grace and God's unmarried faithfulness. Yes. Very good. Yes. Uh, David kind of adopted that version. It says he was like one of the king's sons, and God adopts us. Good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good, good one too. What else? Do you think of what what Mephibosheth would have just dreamed would be the perfect situation would be for David to spare him and maybe give him some stuff, but God goes far above anything we could ask or even think. It's a multitude of blessings that God gives us. Yes, great point. Mephibosheth's highest hope might be to to, uh, escape execution and what he actually receives is far beyond everything he could ask or think. Good point. Yes. Other thoughts? Great ideas. Very helpful. Andrew? I think it's interesting how, you know, Mephibosheth was a cripple and it just kind of reminds me of our story when we first come to God and just how helpless and broken we are. And that we don't need to somehow prove we aren't to receive God's favor. Sometimes people misunderstand grace and think that somehow we've got to convince God we're better than what we are in order to be graced by Him. And that's just the opposite. He wants the broken and contrite heart. And uh, certainly, what could Mephibosheth do to mask his being crippled? He was, and uh, there's no way around that. Other thoughts? Cameron? This section, this section in Second uh, Samuel is kind of like showing the good things and uh, David's successes and stuff. Yes. I love how it's building. It shows all his military successes, but then it builds even more and it shows his kindness he shows to others. And I think that should be how it is for us. Military successes is a good thing. Government successes, sure, but uh, success as a Christian and caring for others—that's where it's at. And I think it's cool how it's building. 
Isn't it interesting that warfare has not destroyed David's tenderness? You know, that is, that's a remarkable point. Good, good point. Anything else? Okay, tell you what we're going to stop and do. We're going to sing just a little bit. Micah's going to lead us in some songs that deal with God's grace. Uh, at that point, we'll decide whether or not we're going to take a break or maybe study a little bit more before we do. But I thought this would be a good moment to be able to sing about God's grace and reflect on that. So Micah will take it from you. All right, for this singing, we're going to need access to the hymn supplement as well as the uh, Symphonia songbook. So if anybody needs one of those, please raise your hand. We'll make that available to you. All right, uh, the first song will be number 115 in the hymn supplement. Number 115 in the supplement. Of course, whenever we think of God's grace, we, we can't help but think start with ourselves and think about the uh, sinless, uh, sinful state that we are in uh, without God. So this song uh, gives us that proper mindset and <laughs> reflects on our uh, reliance on God's grace. It's 115. So oh. 
Ninety-two. Is it for me, dear Savior? What we'll do is we'll sing the four verses and then the chorus at the end. So, four chorus, uh, four verses, and then the chorus. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me, so weak and simple, shall I be so blessed? Is it for me, O thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Jesus saw me when I changed 
precious blood. Oh, to grace our great Song will be number 591. Number 591. Servant Song. As we saw in chapter 9 about Ziba and Mephibosheth, they counted it a blessing and an act of mercy just to be one of David's servants. And so should we consider it an act of mercy to be a servant of God?
Show.